This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's. I mean, it's not going to sell your home. I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser and welcome back to another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is your faithful American Muslim patriot who every week uh, gets down into the deep issues of the day, unafraid to uh, tackle those controversial topics that few others are ready to engage. We cover the timely, most controversial issues of homeland security, foreign policy, religious liberty, human rights, and general politics that few want to confront. And if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for solutions, if you're looking for those American Muslims that are unafraid to get past the denial and recognize that we have a problem, here I am. And we will introduce you also in this podcast in the future to other reformers. And that's the key, is reform. And you know, no holiday really brings it home more than July 4th. And I hope you all enjoyed your July 4th uh, last weekend, as uh, not only we had barbecues uh, and reflected on what it is to be a proud American, uh, but... We also thought about what an Independence Day was, and I have to tell you, in this struggle of reform, this is, and I, I even testified to this uh, very metaphor, if you will, to the U.S. Senate last week, but um, there is no no time in history that I think represents what Islam needs to go through than this battle against theocrats, this battle against theocracy. And our American Revolution was a battle of uh, the weak against the strong, the strongest army in the world, which was uh, the Brits. And uh, ultimately, the good guys won. We pushed back theocracy, and the colonies were able to then become independent and form the United States of America under a constitution that for the first time Render under Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God's what is God's. And that is the reform that we're seeking within the House of Islam. And that's why these three to four million Muslims that live in America, you know, for those of you that are out there, your time to sleep is going to come to an end because you can continue to hide out in this wonderful laboratory of freedom and pretend that your legacy doesn't matter. But this is our time. This is your responsibility as a Muslim and as an American. And for those of you out there that are non-Muslim, the majority of you, wake up your fellow Muslims, your Muslim brothers and sisters that are not speaking up, that are not engaging and disengaging from the radicals and from the ideas that are precursors to the radicals. It is their responsibility to push back and lead this ideological revolution. So on the heels of July 4th, 
ask your children, ask your Muslim friends, what are they doing for a revolution in the minds of American Islam? I think the version of Islam that can come out of America, one that believes in religious liberty, celebrates universal human rights, and rejects theocracy, rejects the Sharia state in any form, not just the form of ISIS, but any form, as in Saudi Arabia's Wahhabism, as in Pakistan's Sharia, Hudud states of uh, punishment laws, even Egypt's uh, Sharia, not only as bad as it was under the Brotherhood, but still under el-Sisi, it is a Sharia state. And then the worst of the worst being not only Saudi, but uh, Iran. And during this week, we also ended our holy month of Ramadan. Yes, the holiest of months of fasting, 30 days of repentance, of atonement, of fasting from sunrise to sunset with nothing to eat or drink. And, you know, a a very good friend of mine who also is uh, a part of the Muslim reform movement, uh, uh, Rahil Raza, who leads Muslims Facing Tomorrow um, out of Toronto, she sent me a note, uh, and a few others of us in the sort of the Western Muslim Reform community, and she said, "Do we commemorate or do we celebrate the end of Ramadan this week?" And I think she really hit it home. And and I cannot remember for the life of me a more bloody, heinous Ramadan in history that I remember in my young age. And, you know, people say, what, what is this holiday? I thought this was a personal holiday of reflection, and it turns out to be a month of, of barbarism. And certainly the militants, I, I think this month highlights the chasm between those of us who are personally Muslim, who are Americans that happen to be Muslim, versus Muslims who demand to be American or Muslims who demand to destroy the societies that they live in and create theocracies of some form or other. So it's not only ISIS, which is the greatest threat today, but it's all Islamists, these large geopolitical, theopolitical movements in state after state. And I am horrified. I'm horrified to see, as we ended the month of Ramadan, a litany a litany of attacks started with, as we spoke a few episodes ago of uh, Ramadan in Orlando with the 49 killed and almost 100 injured. And then Ramadan in Istanbul with the attack on the Ataturk airport, which clearly was ISIS-inspired with two different attackers, suicide bombers that wanted to as much as they could invade and attack innocents at that airport. And then we had Bangladesh with with coordinated attacks. And by the way, don't forget the assassinations that had been happening in Bangladesh against secular humanist authors and bloggers. 
that since earlier this year, since January, and even before in 2015, had been targeted because of their free speech, because they asked the questions against the clerics, against the theocrats, against the imams. They didn't raise weapons. They raised their pens and their blogs, and for it they paid their life in Bangladesh. And now ISIS attacked and committed an act of terror during this supposedly holy month of Ramadan. And then we saw the most severe attack in Baghdad that we've seen in over a decade with almost 200 killed earlier this week in bombings and even more killed the week before. And then in supposedly the land of the custodians of the Holy Mosque in Mecca, we saw attacks, suicide bombings across Saudi Arabia. Two Saudi Arabian cities were affected with many injured security officers and some killed and almost three cities, I believe, affected. And the suicide bombing was stopped by security personnel in a hospital parking lot about 30 feet from the U.S. consulate in Jeddah. The bomber in Saudi Arabia detonated an explosive belt, killing himself and injuring two officers. No Americans were hurt, but... Many were injured. In Saudi Arabia, the, the horrific aspect of this is that the suicide bomber pretended to break his fast with other Muslims near the second holiest mosque in Saudi Arabia, which is felt to be the um, mosque of the Prophet Muhammad. It was an attack in the parking lot outside the mosque during Maghrib, the evening prayers when the bomber pretended to break his Ramadan fast with a group of security personnel as reported by El Arabiya. No one had claimed responsibility and additionally, uh, but uh, ISIS uh, clearly is the first organization that people were pointing to as it has upped its attacks in the Saudi kingdom. And the bottom line is, is why does this happen? Why does a month that's supposed to be holy turn into a month of blood and sh- bloodshed, month of horror, and leastly a month of spirituality? It's because that's what ISIS is about. ISIS is an end of times eschatology. ISIS is a natural creation of Wahhabi militant fundamentalist Islam that believes that only their path of Islam is right and everyone else is dehumanized, everyone else is evil, and they can destroy them the way they destroy flies. And this is why ISIS has to be eradicated immediately. But if you don't also treat the source, you'll continue to get more ISIS's, more Al-Qaeda's in the future. And when we come back in the next segment, I want to talk to you about what has been the response of the Muslim community as now we've seen in this month of Ramadan, the vast majority of those attacked um, since Orlando have been Muslim. What's their response? We'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. 
The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. this it is with a heavy heart that we finished our holy month of ramadan and celebrated the fourth of july as the hope the the teaching moment of independence day was lost in the in the din and the noise and the horror of the attacks that were like nothing i've seen before during the month of ramadan so how is it that this holy month becomes a month of barbarism? Well, they believe that any holy acts, any prayers committed in this month are worth 27 to 100 times more than any prayers in the other times of the year. So therefore, if these warped monsters believe that their acts are holy, then holy acts will be committed more. And this is the answer, the short answer why. The long answer is ISIS is trying to tear apart not only the, the West, but wants to tear apart the current power structure in the Muslim world, in the Muslim-majority countries. They want to tap into the, the weakness of the Arab awakening. And the Arab awakening, by the way, as you and I have talked before, it has been an opportunity because the true evil in the past hundred years has been the dictatorships and monarchs and autocrats across the, the Muslim-majority world, the military dictatorships that have fueled radical Islam have been the root cause, one of the primary root causes, the other being the theology that needs reform, the, the theocratic part of our theology. But the evolution this past few weeks of more and more crescendo of attacks from Bangladesh to Iraq to Syria to Istanbul and Orlando reminds us that this war is going to be a long war. So what is the response of American Muslims? First of all, as we said in Orlando, very little, very little anger. Just they're throwing their hands up and sadly, now we're starting to hear the meme that, oh, look, even when Muslims are attacked, that means that these are not Muslims. So so wait a minute. Is, is the logic that when they attacked in Paris and Belgium and Orlando and Chattanooga and San Bernardino, when they attack non-Muslims, then, oh, it must have been Muslims? Oh, no, wait a minute. In the Senate hearing, Farhana Kara said that these are not Islam. We couldn't even call it that. Couldn't even call it Muslims. Yet their logic is that now, because the attacks on Ramadan increased more and more against moderate Muslims, against innocent Muslims, that somehow that proves that these are not Muslims. Do you see the circular, the, the insane logic 
that people who don't want to take responsibility for our faith community circle the drain. They're taking our community with them and they're circling the drain in a logic that is pathetic. That logic is what? It's that, okay, when they attack the West, these are barbarians, so don't call them Muslim because they call themselves Muslim. When they attack a 99% Muslim country in Istanbul or the, the center of Islamic history in Mecca and Medina, then, oh, it could not be Muslim because no Muslims would attack another Muslim. Hello? This is the battle. This is the war within the house of Islam. This is the agenda of the theocrats is to destabilize the current power structure of Saudi Arabia, of Syria, of Egypt, of Iran, to destabilize their power structure so that they can either pick up the pieces or see an end of times eschatology come forth. That as they destabilize the current power structure, then they will take over. So the attacks to the West are to cause the West to become isolationist, are to cause the West to withdraw from Muslim lands, their ideas and their freedom. Their, 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 they are the primary threat against theocracy, by the way, is the West's ideas of liberty. Muslims who believe in freedom are the greatest threat. And that's why Bangladesh and Tunisia, democracies that are Muslim, are some of the greatest threats to the ISIS ideology. So they tap into those countries to try to destabilize them. But they also have greater access to those countries because of their open media. So that's where the war is. But these fronts are not inconsistent. Don't try to make one narrative. There's two narratives, if not three. The two primary narratives in this war is the internal narrative within the House of Islam where they will strike and strike and strike against Muslims to tell them you either come with us or we will destroy your world, which is what they're doing in Saudi Arabia, which is how they've hijacked the revolution that started honorably against the Assad regime and degenerated because of Assad's pattern of attacking the moderates and leaving the radicals alone, has degenerated into a vacuum filled by the global jihadists. And as they've attacked in in Tunisia and Iraq and elsewhere. And we see Iraq devolving into the old historic sectarian battles between Sunni and Shia. And I'll remind you a little of uh, Islamic history. After the Prophet Muhammad died, there was a debate, there was a battle as to whether the descendants of Ali would be able to follow their own kingdom, their own lead, of the Khalifa or the Caliphate of Ali. And they finally acquiesced and said, well, as long as he would become the fourth Caliph, then they would give bayat or allegiance to the other Caliphs before him. But three out of the first four Caliphs were assassinated. So this is not, the Prophet Muhammad did not leave a, a stable, vibrant community that was growing and thriving. It was devolving. It was devolving into sectarian hate and the, the Shia schism occurred 
right away soon after the Prophet's death with the descendants and followers of Ali. And this has now been the degeneration of where the Muslim world is headed right now is towards that same degeneration that started after the death of the Prophet Muhammad. And yes, reform will mean that we get back to the fundamentals of Islam, the integrity, the honor, the compassion that I believe we share with Judaism and Christianity, but we have lost because of illiteracy, we have lost because of corruption, and we have lost because of the dominance of the imams and the clerics that are theocrats and autocrats that twist religion and have frozen religion of Islam in the 12th century. So this all needs to be looked at honestly by us Muslims. So do we commemorate, as Rahil Raza asked, do you commemorate or do you celebrate Ramadan? And I, I'd have to agree with uh, Sister Rahil. Yes, he, this year we we have to commemorate Ramadan, not celebrate it. Yes, the end of Ramadan means we can get back to our normal diet, drink, normal work, not have to wake up at 3 in the morning to uh, inhale a breakfast. (laughs) But uh, more importantly, reflect on why is it that when our religion is peaked, the world becomes an unsafe place. So ask your Muslim friends, what is their legacy going to be? Is their legacy going to be when their religion is peaked, death and destruction and mayhem will follow? Is that the legacy of Islam we want to leave? I can tell you that with the news every other day of attacks as we wait to find out where the next virus of Islamism will land and who it will infect These are not lone wolves. This is a massive global movement of jihad, of militant jihadism. And we talked in the Senate last week about the importance, as Senator Cruz brought and had the courage to have us discuss, of the importance of identifying it as militant jihad. Because then we can begin to hold our homeland security accountable to the precursors of nonviolent jihad, nonviolent Islamism, and nonviolent sharia. And we can look at misogyny and anti-Semitism and homophobia. All of the precursor ideas that are part of the Islamist mindset can then be held accountable when we address and engage the American Muslim and global Muslim communities. So, no, we will not celebrate the end of Ramadan. We will, yes, with family, give more um, prayers Um, more supplication for um, improvement in our condition. But God will not help the condition of those who do not help themselves first, and that's from the Quran. And the Quran also tells us that we should speak for justice and act for justice even if it's against our own families and our own kin. We forget that. We forget those passages and instead let the radicals cite the passages of war, the passages that are militant. And unfortunately, we need to 
put those passages into the right place in history and say they don't apply anymore, and that they only apply to one specific battle at a certain time. All of this tough work of scriptural exegesis and interpretations needs to be part of the reform process. But, you know, the silence is deafening. Muslims continue to go about their merry way, continue to live life as if nothing's happening, or complain about Islamophobia and the bigotry targeting targeting them. What will be their legacy? This is the important thing. If you feel that your legacy is going to be terror in Ramadan, then for crying out loud, get up, join organizations, look at our Muslim reform movement, and begin to look at solutions so that your legacy will not be one of silence and hibernation throughout the time in which Islam began to mean barbarism when its religion was peaked. When we come back, let's talk about the role of sermons and and our clerics and how they set the tone of the way the Muslim communities feel. Reaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser, and welcome back to Reform This. And we're talking about what the responsibility of Holy pulpit of the sermons, I think, cannot be overestimated in its influence. There's been a number of studies that have looked at the uh, number of uh, acts of terror and death that have happened uh, and attacks uh, over the past uh, decades, and guess what day of the week is the highest? Friday, yep, the day that we have our sermons and our holy day of prayer. That is a problem. And obviously, I've always said that it's because if you listen to even the sermons in America, it's obviously not about terrorism or or committing acts of violence, but it is constantly refrains of, oh, woe is us. This is such a, a, a depressing time to be Muslim. We're being attacked and there are bigots against us and this country hates us and the American military hates us and they're killing Muslims and on and on. And you leave these and I always, you know, our family always used to say, gosh, you know, you get so depressed going to the Friday sermons. And if you think back, what was it about Christian Reformation that changed? They went back to Jesus' message of love and compassion. And they lost and shed the hell and brimstone of the dark ages of Christianity. 
And I think similarly, Islam right now, the reason we see barbarism and, and, and death and destruction spike during Ramadan is because the more contemplative, the more pensive Muslims become, unfortunately, the leadership especially becomes the more depressed, the more um, bellicose they are. And they bring with that militancy and in a faith that is obviously not pacifist. So it strikes into those who then would want to commit acts of violence. So that reform will have to begin with turning that cup from being half empty to being half full, from marginalizing the passages as irrelevant that have to do with jihad and, and striking out any concepts of violent jihad in our interpretations, striking out any concepts of a Muslim military and loyalty and allegiance to the global Muslim community deleting and ending this concept of caliphate once and for all, and then beginning to start to look for compassion and love, not only to Muslims, but to all humanity, to atheists, to Buddhists, to Hindus and Sikhs and and Jews and Christians and all people of faith, and to our nation states especially. I hope that on this last July 4th, American Muslims started to think to themselves as Americans who happen to be Muslim and not Muslims who demand to be American. And I think, you know, as you look at the um, sermons, uh, I have to tell you about, uh, you know, a couple years ago at the end of Ramadan, my family, as we do here locally in Arizona, went to our mosque and the sermon, again, was, as you would expect, about the plight of Muslims. And again, it was as per the CARE Council on American-Islamic Relations, or as we call it at this podcast, Council for American-Islamist Radicalization. But as the uh, Imam, Imam Yasser Ali was uh, talking from the pulpit and and uh, going on and on about Islamophobia and how Americans hate us, et cetera, et cetera, and how tough a time it is. This was in 2014. He then started to talk about how there are Muslims within the community that even Muslims can be Islamophobic. And then he talked about how some even show up on Fox News, and on Fox News can, as Muslims, attack our community and speak against Hamas. And my my son, who was 12 at the time, leaned over to me and said, Dad, I think he's talking about you. And sure enough, he then went on for five or ten minutes about the harm that Muslims within the community can do. And you can't help but think back in, in the Qur'an that talks about the munafiqeen, Munafik are Muslims that were hypocrites, that used to be spies within the community, that then were trying to rip the community apart. So even though he didn't use the term munafik, it was obvious that's what he was talking about. Even though he didn't use the term takfir, which is to call another Muslim a non-Muslim, it was obvious that he was subtle intimidation. So this was in the freest country in the world, 
in Scottsdale, Arizona, the imam bullied me. Why? Because a few weeks before I had been on Fox News calling out Hamas for its launching of missiles into Israel and its wanton attacks against the Jewish community. And that was the crime. But no, the, the, the threat to the Muslim community and from the sermons that day was not about Bashar Assad's killing machine in which at that time there were already 300,000 dead and 6-7 million displaced. No, that wasn't enough to spend more than 20 seconds for a prayer. No, no, the, the bigger threat to American Muslims and to the world was Zudi Jasser and my free speech on Fox News. So this is, part of this I have to tell you is, is the world that Barack Obama has sowed, which is we divide the country into uh, race baiting, into racializing a faith community rather than making it what it is, which is an ideology. And it's not just the left, but the right also has fallen into that trap at times of simply using the Muslim community as a ping-pong ball between one side that says that no Muslims are terrorists and there's no terror problem, it's a crime problem, and the other side that has elements that say that every Muslim could be a possible terrorist. Both are wrong, both don't have solutions, and both give Muslims in America a pass. Those Muslims that could be leading this reform effort that should be learning from the history of America about how to counter theocracy are being given a pass to stay asleep, to stay hibernating at this time in which they need to address this cancer that is is a rot inside our house of faith. It is a rot that is eating out our community across the world and will continue to do so. And you could eradicate ISIS tomorrow. And, you know, and now we're going to hear this weekend and and next week we're going to hear how the Saudis are allies and they were targeted. And, you know, one of the targets was the Shia community in Saudi Arabia. And again, the Sunni-Shia divide is exactly what ISIS thrives on. But they also targeted some of the iconic areas and also the near the presence of the U.S. consulate. So the targets are obvious. The reasoning, though, do not believe for a second, do not be deceived into thinking that the Saudis are just victims, that the royal family are victims, that the Wahhabi judges that will convict the ISIS criminals. Remember, in January, there were 48 terrorists that were lined up and executed to be executed by the Saudi government calling them terrorists, and four of whom were Shia, including one Shiite cleric, and the other 43 were Sunni. So in the name of counterterrorism, these governments will continue to invoke draconian measures, and they will get neither security nor freedom. And in the name of counterterrorism, they will continue to spread the very ideas that foment and fuel the ISIS's of the world. So make no mistake, the founding fathers of ISIS are the Saudi royals, the Saudi Wahhabi judges and clerics and imams. So intimidation can happen from governments. Intimidation of other Muslims can happen from random acts of terror against those who speak up. 
intimidation can happen from imams here in Phoenix and and in America that will tell Muslims that speak up, that want reform, that you are not reformers. They will tell us that you don't even know how to pray, even though they have no idea what we know about our faith because they don't engage us on ideas. They want to demonize Muslims that love our faith, that want to, through tough love, reform and bring up, bring forth the ideas that can begin to put into the dustbin of history, theocratic Islam. But they don't want that. And as I learned from the bully pulpit here in Phoenix, Arizona, or in Scottsdale, that uh, the bigger problem for them is Muslim reformers, not the global scourge of dictatorship and Islamist oppression upon hundreds of millions of Muslims. No, no, no. They're more worried about the enemy within, the spies, the munafiqeen or hypocrites as they're called. And that's how they label their greatest friends. And I say friend because any it's amazing. Non-Muslims that know me know that I love my faith and I love my country and that's why I do this. It's about legacy. But the Islamists who are threatened realize that if the ideas of Muslim reform and our declaration take off, they will become history in our rearview mirror. These are challenging times. And the death toll continues to increase. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the way forward and how to get beyond the constant the constant noise of death after death after death this is Zudi Jasser and I'll be right back you're listening to reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser the Blaze Radio Network The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. which is the holiday of the feast that marks the end of our holy month of Ramadan. And yet, as I have told you in the last few segments, uh, this year it was tough to celebrate. Instead, we were praying for the lives of all those who were killed and slaughtered in the name of Islam during the month of Ramadan. Horrifically, horrifically, instead of a month of spiritual atonement, it has been marked with black, with death, from Orlando to Istanbul to Bangladesh to 
Baghdad and Mecca. So we were supposed to, what we did, focus on scripture, on self-reflection, and on atonement. And I think the key here, from here forth going forward, will be for Americans to wake up your Muslim brothers and sisters, to tell them that they need to grab their legacy and begin to work in the hard areas of reform and to stop the, the, the whining and the denials about just condemning acts of terrorism and looking deep within to see why is it that when non-Muslim homophobes are homophobic, they just say crazy things, but they don't kill people. Why is it that Muslim homophobes then tap into this jihadist movement and swear allegiance to ISIS? Why is that? And it has to do with the arrest of modernization of the ideas of Islam, the arrest of movement forward from the 13th century, the frozen uh, aspects of intellectual Islam from, from Morocco to Egypt to Syria and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and India and Indonesia that while there may be sporadic areas of modernization of thought, the majority of these areas were left with high rates of illiteracy. And most importantly, most importantly was a crisis of leadership that these countries were cauldrons of radical Islam because the leaders were getting paid and developing a clergy that was theocrats that were th that were wedded to the old Islam the salafism salaf means friends of the prophet we talked about those terms earlier and those who want to bring things back the way the prophet did don't ask the question what would the prophet do today they ask the question how do we do today what the prophet did in the 7th century and while their interpretation of the prophet ends up being militancy and battles and and uh, declaration of takfir and work and attacks against the infidel, many modern Muslims will tell you that our interpretation of what the prophet would do would be more compassionate, more loving, and abandon the concept of a Muslim army and, and jihad and and swear allegiance to our secular states whether they are 1% Muslim or 90% Muslim, that we would no longer work towards any caliphate or Islamic state. So I'm sorry, as Saudi Arabia claims to be victims, yes, the innocents killed were victims absolutely in Jeddah and the areas across Saudi Arabia that were attacked this week. But the government, the clerics, they are not victims. Listen on the... Ikra channel, which is the read that's recitation, comes from Quran, the Saudi channel of Quran recitation that that broadcasts sermons that come from Saudi Arabia and many of its mosques, and especially the Grand Mosque. Listen to those sermons and the way they speak about Jews, the way they speak about other communities in a very patronizing, offensive, and repressive way. They'll claim that that's nonviolent. They'll claim that those are just a few imams. But deep in their educational literature is a 
un-American, unmodern, medieval interpretation that is the root cause. So they need to own up to it. The attacks, just like Al-Qaeda when they attacked Kobar and other areas uh, 10, 20, 15 years ago, um, these are, are dogs that uh, the Saudis fed and have come back to bite them. But that doesn't mean that they're not responsible and sure they're responsible. And the only way to win this is for Muslims living in this laboratory of freedom to wake up and to begin to take back our Islam, to begin to try to at least win and be present in this battle within the house of Islam. And the only way we can be present is, present is for Americans to for Americans to allow us to have this debate. And if you don't call it Islam, we will not have a seat at the table. Call it militant Islamism. Call it radical Islam. Call it jihad. And then we can begin to ask the tough questions of our children and of our community. Why is it the month of Ramadan was the bloodiest month of the year? Why are we commemorating the month rather than celebrating it? It's because of the theocratic mentality that needs deep reforms. So as we go on now into the other 11 months of the year, I'm, I know our family and I know many Muslims that I've talked to are now eternally dedicated to defeating the scourge of jihad, the scourge of apostasy and Sharia laws, the institutions of our community that are are arresting our development. We are rededicated to trying to make sure that we've done what we can to prevent any further deaths and any further wanton destruction. And you know the the whack a mole that we will continue to do is something only Homeland Security can do. My work and the work of reformers will not stop the next terror attack in one to two weeks or in three months. But if we are successful, we will stop the terror attacks that could happen in five, 10, or possibly 20 years. Because we are spiraling. Our community is spiraling, and Islam is in that time in history that the West was in the 18th century. So now we've come full circle. We started the program talking about the 4th of July and how that war almost saw the end of the founding fathers and, and the military that they had formed that ultimately defeated the Brits and brought freedom and liberty for a, a new community, a new country that would ultimately become the freest nation on earth. And it's in that spirit, I hope, that American Muslims wake up to our responsibility for freedom and liberty, our responsibility to work within the Muslim consciousness against Sharia, against the institutionalized Sharia, not our personal Sharia, but institutionalized Sharia, that is the instrument of death and destruction that these radicals want to implement. So we are rededicated. We'll continue to pray as we did in our holiday sermons this week. At least many of the sermons, I think, did not cover what they should have. 
but you should hold them accountable. These are public sermons. Why do you give the Muslim community a pass? Go listen to their sermons. What and, and ask them what did they talk about last uh, Wednesday on uh, the Eid al-Fitr? What was the sermon about? Was it about just condemning the acts of terror, or was it about a twelve-step program we need to get beyond the denial and recognize the core? root causes of the interpretations of the scripture that we read every day in rote fashion without understanding what it actually means in a way that can contravene the dominant interpretations of the clerics. So we have a lot of work to do, and I hope that in the spirit of July 4th, we begin to treat the cancer within. We begin to unravel the onion that is bringing about death across the world. And I hope when we come together next year in the beginning of Ramadan, in which it'll start at the end of May next year, that we have a safer place. Or at least you'll hear hopefully more Muslims who've woken up and begun to stand up with the Muslim reform movement as the solution. So As we end, uh, my prayers and thoughts are with the families, not only those of San Bernardino, but in this month of Ramadan, my prayers and supplications are with the prayers of the families of Orlando, of Istanbul, of Baghdad, of Bangladesh, and Saudi Arabia. And I'm sure there's attacks I missed in there. May your lives not have been lost in vain, and may Muslims wake up to our responsibility and our legacy to make this country and this world a safer place for our children. God bless you. God bless America. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.